Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Today, we're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, I know a lot of people listening to us right now have been hit hard by the recession coupled with the ever-rising inflation that was going on this last year. And I also know a lot of people who may have been planning on retiring soon, and instead they've taken a huge hit in their retirement accounts. And I also know some folks that retired that now have to go back to work. Now, one of the things that has been in the news lately is cryptocurrency. We've all heard of Bitcoin by now, and there are many, many others. I've invested in some as well and seen that investment drop like a rock in this economy too. And there's all the bad news recently concerning some major crypto exchanges having issues. And So what should a Christian do when it comes to cryptocurrency? Is it the mark of the beast? Is, you know, is it something that should be avoided? Is it something that can help us accumulate wealth? To help answer these, some of these questions, I've invited someone who is uniquely qualified to provide us some guidance in this area to be our guest today. Jeremy Britton is from Down Under in Australia. He has 25 years of experience in financial planning, entrepreneurship, and financial markets. Jeremy is a value investor who loves innovative technology that helps people to have a better life. He's an award-winning, best-selling author of several books on finance and business. And Jeremy was one of only four people in the financial markets who warned of the 9-11-2001 market collapse the 2008 GFC, and the 2020 pandemic crash, giving his clients up to two years warning before it occurred. Amen. Jeremy's also co-founded the world's first diversified crypto mutual fund way back in 2016. He's the author of several books such as Who's Taking Your Money and How to Get Some of It Back. Amen. Well, we need to read that one. So he should be able to tell us a thing or two about this subject today. Amen. Help me welcome to the program. Jeremy Britton. Jeremy, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join us today, man. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Amen. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Jeremy Britton? Um, it depends on who you ask, mate. I guess some of my clients would say that I'm a genius. I'm not. Um, I'm just someone who is good at recognising patterns, and anybody who's played a computer game or played Tetris or played chess or anything like that can recognise patterns. And um, you ask my parents, well, you know, it's a different story as well. So I'm just a guy who does things and makes a lot of mistakes and learns from my mistakes and gets better. Yep. Well, I've heard said that the best lessons in life are those that we learn from our mistakes, not our successes. You know? Yeah. yeah. Learn Absolutely. what not to do. <laughs> well, let's jump into this. Is cryptocurrency something that Christians should avoid because it's of the devil? Or I'll just toss that one right out there at the beginning. Yeah. Um, it, it's an in interesting question. Um, back in, in 95, 96, uh, my sister who lives in Australia, she met an American who was out here. 
out here working, fell madly in love with this guy and decided to move to America. And you know, that was all great for her, but I was close to my sister and I wanted to be able to talk to her frequently. And back then, calling the US was very, very expensive. Um, so for those of you who are under sort of 25, we used to have this thing called a fax machine. And I went and bought a fax machine for $600 back then, which was a lot of money. She bought a fax machine and I would handwrite a letter to my sister and put it in this machine and press the button. And at the other end, the, the, the handwritten letter would pop out and she'd handwrite a letter and, and send it back to me. And that's, that's how we communicated. Um, and then she said to me, this is like, again, 95, 96, she said, oh, there's this new thing called the internet. Um, and it's like faxing, but it's faster and you just need a computer. I said, well, I've got a computer. How do I get this internet thing? And she said, like, I can, I can type a whole letter to you and you'll see it in real time. And I thought, no, that, that, that can't be true. Like, that's not true because the fax takes, you know, 60 seconds to pull through this bit of paper. Um, and there was no, like, I didn't think we had email. There was like news groups. There might have been email back then. There was no websites. Um, it was just the, the internet, not the World Wide Web back then. And um, I told a few people after I, I saw this technology that I didn't even believe that I could actually be talking to her in real time. Um, I told a few people in my church, hey, look, I've got this thing called the internet and I can chat to my sister and it costs me like $10 a month instead of paying for, for phone calls. And people going, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of the internet. It's, it's evil. I'm like, well, how is it evil? It's just running through the phone lines. It's the same as talking on the phone or using a fax. It's using the same technology. It's just using it differently. And the pastor's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, on, on the, the internet is full of um, drugs and sex perverts and, and, you know, pedophiles and things like that. And I said to him, like, I'm chatting to my sister. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing drugs or I'm not a sex pervert. I'm pretty sure my sister's not a sex pervert. And I think any technology can be used for good or evil because, yes, there is, there is bad people on the internet. I just didn't happen to know any of them. And, you know, you can say a, a sword is really good in the hand of, of a good man, but in the hand of the enemy it's obviously deadly. And same with chainsaws and things like that. Don't operate power tools if you've been drinking or if you haven't read the instruction manual. That's right. So I think cryptocurrency is just a technology, same as the internet. And when it first came out, a lot of people were afraid and they're saying, oh, you know, Bitcoin is used by drug addicts and, I don't know, murderers and things like that. And I said, well, I heard the same thing about the internet back in the day. Mm. But now if you're not on the internet, like it's crazy, right? Yeah. And we're getting to that stage where it's, it's sort of getting to the tipping point. You know, if you don't have cryptocurrency in a few years' time, people are going to say, why don't you have cryptocurrency? What are you, crazy? Like you enjoy paying Western Union $79 to send money to your friends in, in you know, <laughs> unbanked countries? Yeah. Like that, that, was a, that was a big thing for me is not even having uh, Bitcoin as a store of value, but because I outsource a, a lot of my office work. So I've got someone answering the phone in Fiji. I've got someone doing my emails who's in Bali in Indonesia, people in Africa and India. Mm -hmm. And some of them have bank accounts. I can pay $30. I can transfer money to their local currency. Some of them don't have bank accounts because they're in a country, it's a third world country where they, the bank's too far away or it's a $100 US minimum account balance and they don't have $100. Um, so, yeah, and then the Western Union, I think it cost me $79 yeah. to give cash and then for my friend to go down there with her passport and her ID and get the cash and then walk home with it. Um, whereas Bitcoin, I could send $1,000 to someone and it costs less than 50 cents. Yeah. And that's how I first started using cryptocurrency. And back then there was, there was Bitcoin. That was about it. Yeah. Um, and then Ethereum came out in like 2015, 2016, and then a few other 
other coins started to pop up. And I'd had 25 years' experience in, in picking stocks, and I was very, very good at it because, again, I recognised patterns and, and looking at the stuff. So I made a lot of money for myself and my clients picking stocks, and then when all the, like, you know, Bitcoin and then Ethereum and then 50 other different coins come out, I went, oh, this is kind of like a little tiny stock market. Mm. And I could see what some of these companies do, and, and Power Ledger was selling solar power. It's like peer-to-peer -peer power exchange like eBay used to be like your yard sale, right? <laughs> right, right. You put your old stuff out in the front lawn and, and now you can put stuff on eBay and you can actually sell to other people. Yep. So this is just a new technology that makes the world a smaller place Amen. and enables us to send payments. I mean, I, I send payments to, to, as I say, people in third world countries and charities and things like that, and I know they've got the money. It's not cash. They have to go and collect it from somewhere. They're not going to get robbed on the way home. It's instantly sent from my phone to their phone and happy days yeah so yeah it's again a technology can be can be used for bad it can be used for good but it's better off in your hands as as a christian you know person yeah. with morals it's better off in your hands than in the bad guy's hands so might it's as well like, get as much as you can it's like with the internet you know we have our internet radio station evangelism radio reaches into 167 nations and i you know i tell the pastors that you know if i wanted to go and minister into africa i'd have to plan a trip you know, a mm. hundred years ago, I had to take like a two month trip in, in a boat, in a sailboat, yeah. get there. You weren't going to hold one meeting, turn around and come back, right? You're mm. going to be there mm. for six months to a year or more. And that, so that's a big deal. So now on the internet, I can sit in my office, minister to some, you know, to a group of pastors in Africa, turn that one off, minister to some people over in Ukraine or Afghanistan. Yeah. And I could, I could have three different revivals going on in one day from my office, turn it off and go watch the football game. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so, I mean, th that's how, that's how fast the internet is and how popular it is. I mean, it's, Ooh. we have listeners in Iran, Afghanistan, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you know, we're reaching into places where if I walked out and tried to hold a meeting on a street corner, it might not end so well, you know, <laughs> but with the internet, they're inside their own room and, and there you go. You know? So, yeah. Amen. Let me ask you this. I know in, in doing the research, said you had a heart attack at the ripe old age of 33. Did that just happen to occur during one of those financial crises that we talked about before? <laughs> uh, I think that was more of a me crisis than the, than the oh, financial okay. crisis. Um, because my, my parents were both school teachers. God bless them, love them very much. They instilled a value of education. Um, but they were employees. They got paid by the hours they put into the job. And all my teachers through school were employees in the same thing. And when I got my first job flipping burgers, I'm not sure if I'm glad to mention the name of the name of the place, but you can probably guess where everybody goes to work when they're 14, 15. Right. And if, if I did a five-hour shift, I got paid more than if I did a three-hour shift. So this social conditioning throughout my life for like 18 years, the first 18 years of my life, was the more hours you work, the more money you make. Mm -hmm. And so when I started my first real job in financial planning, um, I used to work long hours and you'd make good money because I was going to see people you know, after dinner, after the kids had gone to sleep and things like that. And I just had this idea in my head, if I want to make more money next year, I've got to work more hours. I want to make more money the next year, I've got to work more hours. So I started off working like 40, 45 hours a week. And over a few years, I was up to like 76 hours and you know pushing to 80 hours. 80, yeah. um, and obviously neglecting my health because... Someone who works 80 hours a week doesn't have time to cook. 
Right. And I'd, I'd be driving to an appointment at four o'clock in the morning, going to see a client, client that's like four hours away. And the only thing I can grab on the road is, you know, fast food. It's the only thing yeah. at that time, time in the morning. And then coming home at 11 o'clock at night, grab some more fast Same food because that's the only thing that's available that's right. at that time of night. And, you know, I didn't have time to go to the gym. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have a couple of coffees. And, you know, at, at nighttime, I was so jazzed and my head was full of figures and names and numbers and things like that. So I'd have a, a couple of shots of alcohol to get me to sleep. And so over, over a period of time, like I just gradually increased my working hours. My waistline also gradually increased because I wasn't eating the right foods. I wasn't working out. And I just had a very unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. And I, I did get sick. I got influenza. Um, and I continued to go to work because I can't afford to take time off. My clients right. need me and I need yeah. the money and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I kept going to work. I lost my voice. And I'm like, oh, I can't talk on the phone. I can't my client. Maybe I can just whisper to my clients. Um, and I was, I was whispering. And there's probably a speech pathologist who's listening going, oh, my God, whispering is much worse for your vocal cords than <laughs> speaking normally. So you know that, but I didn't know that back then. And so I was whispering to my client one day and I turned my head and coughed and I tore my vocal cords in half. And vocal cords, they're um, cartilage. They're not just, yeah. you know, skin. That's so right. it took eight, 89 days for it to grow back. And I had to go and see a speech therapist and learn, basically learn how to talk again. And even that, that sort of illness, like they say, you know, God sort of taps you with a feather. If you don't listen, he taps you with a hammer. And if you don't listen, he taps you with a Mack truck. Mm -hmm. So I still had this thing in me that I need to go to work. I need to work all the hours and then do all the things. So I went back to work again. And this was my first thing that was my little warning. And my second warning was having a heart attack. And I didn't realize at the time, I just thought I've got really bad heartburn. Uh, indigestion because I was eating a lot of rubbish food and drinking a lot of coffee. Um, but the pain just didn't go away, didn't go away, didn't go away, didn't go away. And I was sort of taking the normal tablets and things that you do when you've got heartburn. But I always felt tired and run down. And after months and months and months, because you know, I'm tired and run down, maybe I've got the flu, I'll just keep going to work and I'll get better next week or the next week. But after months and months and months, I finally went to the doctor and I'd had a, a short circuit. So I was supposed to be going one, two, three, four on the valves on the heart. Uh, but I was just going one, two, three because I damaged the heart and the electrical signal was only sort of making it three quarters of the way around. So I was literally running on three cylinders the entire time. That's why I was so tired. And yeah, at 33, I had, I had three kids. Um, youngest one wasn't in school. The, the other two were in primary school. And the surgeon said to me after the surgery, when they fixed this thing, he said, you'll be back here in 12 months unless you change your lifestyle. I said, what do you mean? He said, most people have a heart attack and within, if, if you don't change your lifestyle, you'll have another heart attack within 12 months. And the second one could be fatal. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, I've got three young kids. Yeah. I don't want to be dead. Um, what do I need to change about my lifestyle? And he's like, well, I'm not a life coach. I'm a heart surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> you need to, to go and find out what you can change. And, yeah, that was a big wake-up call. And I, I was literally, it's, it's like a gun to my head. I'm going to yeah. be dead in 12 months unless I make these changes. Wow. Amen. So I, I shut down that business where I was working all the hours. I had a lot of expensive toys. I had a seven-bedroom mansion and a few, a few cars and TVs and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Sold everything and bought a little, a little beach shack and moved to a beach town and thought, I'm going to downsize my life. I'm going to start a new business in this little town. and 
because I didn't know if I was going to be alive or dead in 12 months, I thought I'm going to spend as much time as possible with my kids. So I literally dropped my kids to school at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, go and see a couple of clients, finish up work, go and pick up my kids from school at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then take them to the beach. And my, my thinking was at that time, because I'm going to be working 60% less hours, my income is going to go down by 60%. So I've got an old car that I bought, you know, for like $5,000, got the little beach shack and, and deliberately created this very frugal lifestyle because, again, in my head, right. I was thinking 60% less hours, 60% less yeah. income. Yeah. And I didn't really take stock of it until about like six or 12 months later when I looked back and went, wow, I'm actually making 90% of the income that I made in previous years. Amen. Like my income had dropped by 10% and my working hours had dropped by 60%. Oh, what is going on? Yeah. It, this, it flies in the face of, of everything that I've right. been conditioned to believe from all, yep. all of my friends and, and family who are employees. Yep. And I, I had to sit down and think about, like, how is, this, how is this happening? How can I make more money in, in less time? And a lot of it came down to just the grace of God and being in the right place at the right time. But if, if I go to the gym at nine in the morning, there's going to be three or four people in the gym, right? They're the people who don't need to be clocked on, who don't need to be sitting behind the office desk. So these are the guys who own a very successful business who don't need to be in the office. You know, when I go, go to the beach you know, at 10.30 in the morning to have a coffee, there'd be like five people in the cafe because they're the people who didn't need to be at work that day. So I was meeting very wealthy clients Whereas before, like going to see people after hours, because you obviously had to go and see them after they finished work. Mm-hmm. These are the people who needed to be at work like me. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, back, back in the day when I was working 70, 80 hours a week, I would have loved to have just one CEO as a client. <laughs> and when I stopped working all of the hours, I started finding them everywhere. So I was, instead of rushing around with, with butterfly nets trying to catch all these little sort of butterflies, I just sat still, I waited, and all of a sudden, the butterflies came to me. Praise the Lord. So, That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I would never I, have believed it. So there's people going, oh, I don't believe that. Try it. Yep. <laughs> Commit to and, it. And the, the thing is, you know, when I got out of the military in 1989, I was selling insurance part-time and then decided, okay, I need to make more money. So I went and seen my general agent at his office and walked in and said, I need to go full-time. What do I need to do? And he said, see more people. <laughs> Real simple, right? And so it goes into the same thing. You just got to try harder. Goes, you know, put yourself out there and do it farther. You know, do do it more. Mm-hmm. And and you start getting, like I said, I, you know, running them late nights. Grab grab a burger on the way home. You know, go to bed. Get up in the morning. Yeah. Out the door you go. You know, meeting somebody for lunch. You know, <laughs> all that stuff, right? Amen. Now we've started before the recording started. I mentioned you know that I had an opportunity to purchase Bitcoin about 2012 or so, I guess it was. And, and it was just after I retired. And I said, Bitcoin's like $37 at the time. I was looking at charts, thought it went from 30 cents to 37 bucks. Yeah, this thing is topped off. It's not going anywhere. But, you know, I kick myself now, but I guess the question I have for you is, is Bitcoin dead? We've seen it go from $64,000 where it is down to 21,000 right now. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was down to like 14 or 15,000. Is Bitcoin dead or is it going to make a comeback? Well, again, looking at the charts, like obviously Bitcoin's only been around since 2008, 2009, so it's not as long a history. One of my favourite charts I have in my wall in my office is 200 years of the stock market. 
So you can see it went down when the war was on and then it bounced back and it went, went down during World War II and then it bounced back and it went down, you know, in the, in the Great Depression and it bounced back. And over time, it's just like you put a saw and it's a sawtooth pattern, but you can see, oh, this is what happened when the interest rates were 18% back in the late 80s, early 90s. This is what happened after the 1987 famous, you know, Black Monday crash and that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So you can see these patterns and you can see what the stock market did when the interest rates were high. You can see what the stock market did when there was a war on. And you can overlay on top of that 200 years of the property market and say, okay, house prices actually went down when interest rates were high. When interest rates went down low again, property prices increased. And you can see these patterns occurring. And there's, there's actually a four-year pattern with Bitcoin, which coincides with something called the halving. But very, very basically, if you look at the chart over the last 15 years of Bitcoin, you can see, yeah, yeah, yeah it went from... 30 cents up to $37 and then it crashed down and then it took off again and then it crashed down. So it's actually dropped by like 60 to 80% three or four times. Mm. And roughly, you know, every, every, every three and a half, four years, it'll drop by 80%, but then it'll go up by like 10,000%. So Amen. for the people who are holding, <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to hold. Um, but this is this is one of those times where it's it's on super special at the moment, yeah. really. I mean, we we, we talked about because you and I both had a little bit of grain in our beards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We we can remember 1999 when you know Yahoo launched and Google and, and all of these sort of companies. Yeah. The big the big sort of tech thing and there was Jet.com and Pets.com and all these dot com companies that were given billion dollar valuations, and a year or two later, most of them were bankrupt. Out of, out of business, and when that right. sector went down. Apple went down by 80%. Microsoft went down by 60%. And you know, if you were holding at that time, you go, oh, my God, I should jump out, right? But imagine being able to buy Apple when it was 80% off or buy Microsoft when it was 60% you know, off and then hold. The, cra the crazy thing is, Bob, like, you know, if there was a sale on toilet paper, half price, we'd stock up. We go out and buy a year's supply because we know I'm going to use it, right? That's right. Um, yeah. And if there was a sale on, on tins of baked beans, you go, oh, I've got to go and buy all these half-priced baked beans because they'll keep. I can put them in the cupboard. Same is true of good quality stocks. The bad ones like pets.com disappeared um, and the good ones bounce back. So Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, these guys bounce back. And Bitcoin is, is scarce. Like Bitcoin is what they call digital gold because there's only ever going to be a finite amount. You can't create new Bitcoin. No one can print more, like the, the Fed can print more cash. Right. Um, the guys who own a company can print more stock certificates. But you can't print more gold and you can't print more Bitcoin. So over time, the value of Bitcoin will increase. And if you look at a gold chart, I mean, there's fluctuations in a gold chart. But you can measure the value of gold over the last six or 7,000 years. We know what it cost a Roman soldier to buy a pair of shoes when Jesus was around because that is written down. And they used an ounce of gold to buy a pair of shoes and a tunic and a hat. <laughs> and now an ounce of gold will still buy you a pair of shoes and a suit and a hat. Yeah. Same, you know, pretty well the same exchange rate as it was thousands and thousands of years ago. But wow. the, the value of the dollar has obviously dropped a lot because your grandpa used to get paid, you know, like, $2 a week or something. That was yeah. a lot of money back then. Yeah, but right. now it's nothing. So, Amen. Amen. You know, yeah, Bitcoin is unique in that. I've heard the term decentralized finance or DeFi. What is yeah. that? And is it good or bad? 
uh, <laughs> it's again like the chainsaw and, and like the internet. <laughs> uh, it, it can be bad if it's run very badly. And we have seen some DeFi companies famously like, you know, Celsius and FTX and these kind of goes, go bankrupt. Um, you know, we've also seen exchanges go bankrupt because these people and some of them were very young. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I think, was like 27 or something like that. And he was worth $40 billion one day and he was worth nothing the next day. Um, young and inexperienced. I mean, you know, you can be a 15-year-old running an international company if you want to, but you better make sure you've actually done a lot of reading, had a lot of research, had a lot of experience or be surrounded by people and, you know, coaches and mentors and that sort of stuff. Um, so decentralized finance is, is basically like a bank for for your cryptocurrency. So yeah, you've got some you've got some gold or you've got some Bitcoin or you've got some whatever. And you're intending on holding that for a long time. You don't want to spend it right now. You know, if you put a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you're going to get around about one percent return from the bank, just for leaving your money in there. You know, and you used to be able to arbitrage out your gold because you'd say, I'll put my gold in there. Someone wants to borrow that and go off and do something, they'll pay you a bit of interest. Um, but always you're dealing with a centralized company. So you put your money into, say, Chase Manhattan Bank, they're lending it out. If they lend it to someone who's part of the, the ninja loan scandal and, and people were taking out loans in the names of their dog back in 2008 because yeah. they didn't have good credit, yeah. then obviously that loan falls over, the bank falls over, you lose your money. So decentralized finance is, is again, like eBay. It's like taking out the middleman. And it's peer-to-peer. -peer. So you'll say, I want to let I'll put hundred thousand dollars worth of cash or Bitcoin or whatever into this contract, um, lock it up for 12 months, and I will accept, I don't know, two percent is what you want to earn. And I'll say, okay, I want to borrow Bob's hundred thousand dollars to go and you know buy a house or a car, and I will pay five or six percent. And there'll be a smart contract agreement between us. I'll pay the money, you get the interest. If I stop paying the interest, you can withdraw the money. So it's it's controlled by a smart contract. It's all supposed to go very, very well because you don't have to rely on an intermediary like a bank in the middle. Um, it's supposed to go well, but obviously, as with anything, you know, people can be bad actors. And we've seen it, you know, in the stock market with Theranos. We've seen it with Enron oh, yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. You have yeah. bad people doing bad things and they can cover their tracks because they think they're clever. They can hack into computer systems and things like that. So, yeah. It, it can be a bad thing if it's if it's used by bad people. It can be a great thing if it's used by good people. All right. That's your answer. Uh, hey, folks. Pastor Bob here. It is such a blessing to bring this interview with Jeremy Britton to you as he shares with us some very important information about cryptocurrency. Uh, this is a big topic in society today. I mean, there are people making all sorts of money right now with crypto. And as we've seen recently in the news, many people taking a big hit and losing money with crypto. So what should you do to make sure you're not going to be one of those that takes the hit? Well, to start with, come back for part two of this great interview in the very next episode. Jeremy and I had such a great conversation. This has become a three-part interview. Praise God. Today was just part one. In the next episode, we'll be continuing our discussion of what you heard today, but I also encourage you to drop down in the show notes, reach out to Jeremy, take a look at the offers he's provided for us in the show notes, and take advantage of them. Do it now, while there's still time before the next bull run really starts to take off and leave you behind. Amen? Till next time, this passed by reminding you, be blessed in all that you do.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.